Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Keystone Chronicles podcast. Guys, I have a very special episode this week. I was able to sit down with a legend, Mr. Joe Humphreys, and it was just wonderful. I really enjoyed his presence. I enjoyed the stories you guys are going to hear and just being around him and the energy that he brought to the room. I want to thank everybody that was involved, his kids, Randy Aiken, and uh, some other people behind the scenes, guys. This this was really uh, the, the pinnacle of where I've been with the show so far as, as far as my guest and, and I, I, I just really, really enjoyed this. And I, hope, I really think that you guys will too. So we were able to go to Mr. Aiken's cabins. If you guys are unaware, I think that I have brought them up one time in another episode. Aiken's cabins are at Bear Meadows. That is located in Bullsburg, Pennsylvania. Guys, I, I, I really can't speak as highly as you need to see this place. It is just outside of Bullsburg. It is right down below the Tussie Mountain Ski Resort. And you got Roth Rock State Forest right in your backyard as well as some of the best fishing in central Pennsylvania. Okay, this this place is strategically located for the guys that want to fish. I know those guys. I know they're going to love it. Randy was a great guy. I want to thank Randy so much for getting together with me and him and my friendship. His friendship and mine continue to grow, and it was just really wonderful to get to sit down and talk to, to him and, and Joe. So I really think you guys are going to enjoy this episode. It's not so much tactics and some other stuff, but it's really Joe talking on a lot of stories and giving a lot of wisdom to us. So really hope you guys enjoy. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Keystone Chronicles podcast. Guys with us this week, I made a trip out here towards State College and I couldn't be um, more thankful and excited to tell you that I'm sitting here with Randy Akins and I'm sitting here with Mr. Joe Humphrey. And um, we're really excited to sit down and talk together and go over some stuff. And Randy and Joe, how are you guys? Good. We are fine today. This <laughs> is a beautiful day. Yeah. yeah. Turned yeah. out real nice. Two, almost two inches of rain last night. We did. <laughs> yeah. that, that helped the streams, didn't yeah. it? Yes, the, it does. The streams the st- definitely needed it. I, I, I attest to that at home, too. And um, I'm excited to get back on a stream here, probably, I don't know, probably for two more weeks, kind of fishing as much as I can, and then I, I will be in the deer woods trying to get some some cameras hung and, and doing some deer sign and stuff like that, and um, I usually get back into fly fishing a little later on in the year, um, yes. a little end of the December, especially if the weather's nice enough, like, it, it hasn't been very cold after Christmas time, so it's been really primed to fish yeah, prime. this December and January. Although I know some people have told me that they've caught some of their biggest, best trout in October and uh, September. Well, they start to go on their spawning reds in, in October, September, October. And people do find them bigger fish because they're, they come out of their hiding mm-hmm. because they're spawning. And they're on their reds. And, yeah, you can catch bigger fish, but it's not a good idea to take them off the reds, you know. Right. So, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, well, I want to get into a couple things here before we really get into the fly fishing. And, uh, Randy, we're sitting here at your beautiful cabins, and, and I, I can attest to how nice these cabins are because I stayed here, and I'll be back every year for sure. And I know that you and I have developed a good relationship with each other. And what what is it that really made you want to put these cabins here? You, you have how many beautiful cabins and, and kind of just what was your thoughts going into doing this? Well, first off, I'd like to thank Joe for taking the time and for his kids. Uh, 
we started these in 2007, um, and it was sort of an inspiration, uh, along with a good friend of my father's who helped me orchestrate the, the process of getting these cabins together. And uh, we, as I said, we have five of them. Um, they're two-bedroom, two-bath. Each bedroom has its own private bath. And then it's a little, you know, living room, electric fireplace, uh, all the amenities of home. Mm -hmm. And that's what I really wanted to do. And then uh, with the surroundings where my father built the ski slope next door, which is now Tussie Mountain. And... Uh, he, you know, so it's it's got the the draw for the kids and for for adults because Roth Rock State Park's right here. Right. And so, uh, you know, it's just one of those things to where if you if you build it, they will come. Right, <laughs> yes, Joe. That That's, is true. And uh, I I've never really advertised because you know I like the word of mouth. Right. And um, everybody that stays here you know, tell somebody else, and then they tell somebody else. And so it's just an, an onslaught of everybody saying, hey, yeah, we heard about this from a friend. And uh, so, you know, here we are. And uh, it's just neat because each cabin has its own, you know, quirks. But we have outdoor fire ring and picnic table and charcoal grill. So everybody brings their own chairs, whatever, and – it's just, uh, it's, it's sort of a nice little tucked away place. You're not right downtown. Um, I might make a comment, too, if you don't mind, Randy. I don't. You know, within a 25-mile radius, we have five beautiful trout streams. We have the Spring Creek and Fishing Creek and the Little Juniata and and so many others, and, and mountain streams. So this is a wonderful place to stay and really relax and enjoy it after a beautiful day on the stream. Right. Yeah. Right. So, and, and that's exactly what we did when we came up here and camped. And, uh, you know, I, I will say I didn't get to spend much time in a cabin, but my family did, and they really yeah. enjoyed it. But as Joe said, you know, this – we're in the Mecca of it. I really believe so. And I think that this area is probably, if you're a fly fisherman, this is probably one of the best places that you could ever live in Pennsylvania, to be honest. And right where your cabins are placed is almost smack dab in the middle of, in, in the heart of it. Right. So. Well, and that's, that's the other thing. I mean, my, my family's been a big influence with the, the area, um, for darn, darn near a hundred years. So, um, you know, it's it's just a neat, neat area, and then such as Joe said, you know, it's just phenomenal for fly fishing, and yes. and I'm learning. I got a good friend of mine that, you know, helps me try to combat these uh, ailments I have. Mm -hmm. But uh, I love to fly fish, and this is a great spot for it. So yeah, yeah, you're. You're absolutely right, and, and um, I'm glad that, uh, that you were able to have us all here to sit down for this conversation. And um, Is there anything else you want to touch on as far as, uh, you know, I know your family has a rich history of, of this area and some of its waterways. Right, right. Well, uh, as 
Joe will point out his uh, his mentor was a good friend of my grandfather, George Harvey. Yes, sir. And uh, so the history goes a long ways. My uh, my grandfather started the Center Daily Times. Okay. And so uh, that's sort of how I'm able to be where I am. And uh, we've since sold that in '81. We sold it, but. Uh, this area is just, uh, I don't know how else to say it. It's home. It's yeah, home. It is and home. Yeah. It's, uh, mm-hmm. as, you know, the Dolores and Joanna um, will attribute to, you know, it's just, it's a nice spot in Pennsylvania to live. Yeah. And uh, we just, uh, we're thankful, or we're blessed. I am blessed with the acreage that I have um, to, you know, just be able to to offer it and I I wanted to get a hold of Joe and and to see what his thoughts were on me doing some different things mm-hmm. with the property yeah and so uh, the cabins are a good start to it I believe and, so <laughs> uh, so that's that's where um, I'm sort of leaning towards yes I think you're doing a great job you're on the right track and I know of some of the other plans and you know I don't want to put them out there for everybody to hear yet but you know everybody that's listening should really follow along what's going on here and what randy's doing at aiken cabins and and really check it out for yourself because i know we have listeners all across this state and the surrounding states so if you guys want to come to pennsylvania and fish here in central pennsylvania where where it is the best this is a great place to check out right and i'm gonna keep in touch with you uh hopefully we'll somehow do a, a fishing lodge. I'm I'm looking at trying to do a, a fishing lodge on the property, and uh, that's my goal. And uh, we'll just uh, take it one step at a time. That's all we can do. Yeah. Yeah. So, but well, I want to thank Joe for being here and for his. Well, thank his you time. for inviting me, Randy. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, Joe. Thank you so much for for giving us this time, and um, you know we'll jump into to some things. With you, Joe, you know, um, this is – it's an honor for me, really. I, I, I've followed along a lot of your stuff and, and your journey throughout the time that I've known fly fishing. And um, I was actually talking to my pap this morning, and he was all excited. He was like, oh, you, you're really going to talk with him? I said, yeah. I said, he said, oh, well, tell him I see him how, how he does that, that cast, that slingshot cast. I said, oh. <laughs> the bow and arrow. I said, the bow cast. He mm-hmm. said, yeah. He said, tell him I enjoy watching that. And my, my pap, he's, he's 87, so – um, he, he's a fan. He's a big fan. Good. Thank and, uh, you. He's, he's a firecracker too. <laughs> um, but you know, what, what do you have going on, Joe? What have you been up to? I, I, you know, well, I you know, at, at my age, uh, I'm 94 years old and, uh, I've been fly fishing for maybe 80 years. And every time as life presents many problems even in our elder elderly age uh when i have a a a little bit of frustration i simply pick up the fly rod Mm -hmm. go to the the stream spring creek or one of the nearby streams spruce creek maybe uh and after my first cast uh, my problems just disappear so it's it's the right way to end frustration and and and, and with our veterans and I've worked with so, so many veterans in the 
and healing waters, and this is what happens with them after that first cast. And they, they get into fishing, and their a lot of their problems go away, yeah. at least temporarily. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. That's, that is why I enjoy fishing so much. And sometimes, you know, a lot of friends or family will ask me, hey, well, let's go fishing together. And, and I do enjoy that, and I appreciate having people with me. But sometimes <laughs> I just like to go myself and, right. and just – be in my own head and, and just hear the water and one thing it's probably more exciting than anything is when you fish a new stream and you don't know it that well and you get around the corner and you see an undercut or an eddy or something that you really want to fish and it's exciting to, to get that first yes time. it is that's <laughs> right so um, moving into that you know as long as you have been fishing do you have a a fish that you more or less would rather catch than another one and what i mean by that is a species of trout probably yeah but before i answer that question when i'm fishing with people on the water and years ago i used to do some guiding mm -hmm. and one of my one of my statements to the the angler that i would be with stop and look up did you see that beautiful bird that Scarlet Tanger, mm -hmm. did you see the clouds, how they're forming? Can you see in the clouds something that depicts where we are? Or can you see the, the beautiful trees? Can you see all the beauty that God has presented for us? And I said, and then we fish. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah, but right. first appreciate what you have. Yeah, one of my goals. And, oh, go ahead. Good, no, I just wanted to say that the pileated woodpeckers up here just, they make me come alive just seeing them. They do, but one thing they can do, they can tear your house apart. <laughs> yes, so, yeah. they can. They, yes, they can. <laughs> but uh, Your question to me, Marcus, uh, I, I love the brook trout ever since I was a child. My, but my first trout was a brown trout, mm -hmm. and I was on Spring Creek. In 1935, and my father took me to Spring Creek, and uh, I, I had a, a an old steel rod that telescoped out, and we had the, the season opened at five o'clock in the morning, and it was still dark, and so with a flashlight we we came into a road on Spring Creek that is no longer ex exists, but it took us down to a, a place just below rock and where the stream divided there was a little island there and it's still there but the stream did divide and it was a small portion of the stream and I finally got a, a worm on my hook I got my bait into the water and I felt some tugs and I flipped the fish out over my head <laughs> and he landed in the weeds behind me and it was still dark and I couldn't find the fish, but all at once I saw the weeds start to move, and I captured my eight-inch brown trout, <laughs> which was, to me, the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And when my father was an, an absolute neophyte, and he got a, a fish on his line, he threw the rod down <laughs> and pulled the fish in hand over hand with the line. So <laughs> this was the early stages of it, but... We put that trout in a pan at home, and I just I studied it, and it, uh, 
the markings, the the spots, and the the orange and red spots, and the and the coloration of that fish, just mesmerized me. I was just taken by it, and I was hooked. Mm-hmm. And so, my mother made a sandwich with that little trout, and it was the best thing I had ever eaten in my life. <laughs> so today, I still think a trout sandwich. It's yeah. absolutely wonderful. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, it's it's sort of hard for me because I'm colorblind, mm. and so certain things uh, stand out. Mm-hmm. And in a brook trout, that and that's what you know I'm used to fishing, and uh, it's just the colors in it. I mean, it's, it's so. I'm brown and greens. I'm colorblind to the brown and greens and stuff, and. Uh, just seeing the the different, I just love the yeah, everything about it. Now I'm I'm gonna make a I'm gonna tell you a story. When I was a youngster, and I every morning in the summertime, without school, I would get up with peanut butter sandwiches, at least three of them, and a jug of milk with my fly rod across the handlebars, my fly box in the basket, I would paddle to Spring Creek or to the mountain stream, this one or many others. But I fished every day. So one day, I paddled down to Spring Creek above rock, and I was sitting on the bank having a sandwich. And an elderly man, he might have been in his 80s or 90s, came and sat down beside me. He was fishing, and I said to him, when you were a boy, were there some really big brown trout? And he said, no, son. When I was a boy, Spring Creek had only brook trout. So I said, brook trout, only brooks? And he said, I said, well, were there any big ones? Well, he said, some might go two or three pounds. My God, a brook trout, two or three pounds. You're talking about 20 inches. Mm-hmm. So Spring Creek, as we know it now, there aren't any brook trout. Mm-hmm. And that age has gone. Yeah. So now yeah. we've had so many changes. Yeah. yeah. We really have. And uh, this, <laughs> this world today is... A big change. Another little story on this with Spring Creek. Back at the end of the 1800s, at the 1890s, Theodore Gordon from New York City was challenged by a guy from Belfont who thought he was the best fisherman in the country, and he wanted to make a name for himself so if he could beat Theodore Gordon on the stream, he would be a hero. So Theodore Gordon came to Belfont and they fished the big springs at Belfont and catching only brook trout. And Theodore Gordon caught 50-some brook trout and beat the local hero from Belfont who only caught 40-some, but they kept every fish they caught. I'll be Good. Yeah. Yeah. That's in the book of Theodore Gordon. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great story. So this is Spring Creek, yeah. Well, was, I have to ask Joe. I, can you say a little bit about George? Yes, George was my mentor, and I first met George Harvey when I was just a child, and I was fishing Spring Creek, and uh, 
it was the down on the penitentiary grounds, and they called it the sawmill stretch. And that's all gone. I wouldn't know where it is even is now. And I had a snelled wet fly, and the and the snail started to come apart. And so I went to a man fishing, and I said, "Can you help me with this?" And he says, "No, son, I can't." But that man up there fishing, he's George Harvey, and I'll bet he can help you. So I went up and I said, "Sir, can you help me with this?" And he had just he was catching fish after fish. There was a sulfur hatch on. He was just butchering the fish and stopped, laid his rod down, and worked on my fly, got it back together so I could fish with it, and off I went. But that was my first meeting with George Harvey. And so then, many years later, and I would see him on the stream. We both fished Spring Creek so incessantly, you might say. And so, uh, but I would see him, and, and he would nod or say say something or hello but he he never really bothered with me that much even as a child he was serious he he was a fisherman mm -hmm. and he fished and so it wasn't until until the uh, 60s that we really started to pull together mm. and then he had you know I did uh, I was at Bald Eagle Area High School I was a wrestling coach but I also started the first fly fishing program and I think in the state of Pennsylvania and so we had casting and gym classes, and then across this road was the Bald Eagles Creek, and I would take them over. The class would, I would take them over and uh, demonstrate different techniques, sometimes catching fish. And I have run into so many people over the years that remember that. Little children. One guy the other day I, I met at downtown, and he said, I had you in seventh grade. And he said, you took me fishing. And he said, we went across and fished the bald eagle. And I said, yes, we did, yeah. And so George was seeing all this. And then he said, yeah, I know, Joe, I know. And then in 1959, I took his course, and he, I helped him. He said, now, there's a lot of people in this class that are really having troubles. So he says, like, helping to get the thread on the hook, helping to get the, 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 the fly set up. So he said, you help me. So I did. And so, uh, again, uh, he was priming me mm -hmm. to take that position. And so in 1970, I did, yeah. I remember uh, helping out. I'm a, I was a controller for On the Fly, and uh, I had the pleasure of uh, being Gloria's controller. Controller, yeah. And, uh, and that was just an experience that I can, you know, I'll take to my, my, uh, my days. I think she caught up. A couple of trout on the Royal Coachman she fished. Yes, yeah. yep, yep uh -huh. that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I was new to it. Mm -hmm. I mean, just being a, a friend of his and then fishing glory. I mean, it was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. So it was uh, – and I, I try to go every year and help. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's a great – It's a great, 
great program. Right, and, right. And helps so many kids. It really does. Big and, brother, uh, big sister, uh, well, so many programs, yes. And he just, I mean, it's instrumental what Joe does for everybody around the area. And uh, I'm just fortunate enough to be able to call him a friend. Yes. And uh, to have him here. So, and the Humphreys family, I mean... Marcus, do you have any other ideas? Do you have any other questions you want well, to ask? Well, so you know, at your age and and the the accomplishments and the and the goals that the benchmarks that you've met, you know, throughout your life, my first question would be, you know, when when did you really want to start giving back more, like with the knowledge that you had gained and stuff? And was that because you know the fishing was great, but whenever you did start giving back and watching somebody else benefit? from everything you taught them yes i guess what what the question is is kind of when did that start and where did that start where you really wanted to focus on that more than yourself fishing the stream well you know i started at an early at a very early age in doing fly fishing shows and uh i've met so many people and so many needy people that that uh really wanted to get into the game and or had been in the game and had problems mm -hmm. and so uh and fishing as much as i did i met so many people on the stream that uh needed some help yeah so well yeah. didn't you do the espn i did eight shows on the espn the original yeah. the original I mean, you and yeah. dolores were yeah, yeah. so and I had Dolores in the show. Right, yes. mm -hmm. right. I remember that. And then I don't remember that, but, you know. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, so, yeah, that's pretty cool. And so, you know, on a stream, at, even at my age, trout present many problems mm -hmm. because you never have this game cornered. The good Lord made it that way. Mm -hmm. And so you have to adjust all the time. And, uh, and, and adjusting, uh, we learn, okay? Mm -hmm. But we also learn from others. And so, an example, every year I have a busload of children coming from Winbird, Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. and they're fifth graders, and they're 10 years old, and I have them on the stream. And they, I first teach them to cast, and then in the afternoon, I take them on the stream. And one little boy, he was only in first grade. And what was his name? Adrian. Adrian. So Adrian says to me, he said, do you want to catch fish for us today? And I said, yes, Adrian. He's only six years old. <laughs> so he said, you're going to fish a woolly bugger. You're going to fish it downstream. You're going to fish it real slow. And he says, and then you'll catch fish for us. Well, I said, thank you, Adrian. So I'm on the stream, and I have 23 kids behind me. Mm -hmm. And I miss a trout. And I say to the children, I am going to fish down through, and then I'm going to come back and see if I can catch this fish. And so I came back. I fished down through, and I came back, and I said to the, the children, now I'm going to see if I can catch this fish. And Adrian reached up and grabbed my hand before I made a cast, and he says, this time, set the hook. <laughs> so here he is, a first grader, telling a 94-year-old 
you'd better set the <laughs> hook this time. So yeah, so That's I do nice. learn from so many, so many. And then in the afternoon when I did finally leave, and I did a demonstration, but I I landed that fish, but I didn't catch any others. And the lady called me and she says, and little Nancy Jane caught three fish this afternoon on, and, 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 and little Betty Ann caught two nice trout and, and little Charlie caught four. And I'm saying, holy Jesus, you know, these kids are out fishing me. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I, I can understand your excitement too, you know, going into that because when you can bring value to other people and it's fun to bring value to adults, yes. you know, but when you're bringing that to children that yes. are so innocent and they're yes. learning it's it's th- such a thrill to me it's, i haven't found anything more exhilarating or better in my life so yes well and that's sort of the direction that i'm i'm thinking about going and i just i want to be able to offer i have such a unique piece of property yes you do and so i'm so fortunate to be able to to offer that yes and that's where I'm going with the possibly doing a lodge, but to, to do the fundamentals of, of fishing. Sure. And uh, so I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, through your guidance, that uh, we You'd can... better hurry up from a 94. I don't have more. <laughs> I'm going down the other side of the mountain now. You better I, hurry up. I understand, but you're still at the top. And, uh, Give me a shovel. I'll 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 get I'll I'll, I'll dig the first hole for you. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's just um, I mean that's the direction that I really want to try to strive for because um, I have I have the pawns. Yeah, and, and you have the property. And yeah, I, you know, so that it's one of those things where uh, we're just gonna try to see where it takes us. Yeah. I, I think that you'll be more than successful in that because you're already, you know, you're already on the way. You, you've already done this. And well, hospitality's been in my family for a long time. We, uh, my, my grandfather and Maddie Mateer had the corner room. And that's where I have breakfast every, every, morning. every Friday morning. Yep. Every Friday. Yep. And we were there this morning. Oh, yep. good deal. Good Eggs deal. Benedict's, yes, <laughs> yes. And De- uh, delightful. It's just um, so, you know, when uh, – it's hospitality, I guess, is in my blood, mm-hmm. and uh, so I'm really, I don't know how to say it, but I'm excited, and I'm not getting any younger, and yeah. I just want to do it now so Good. that I can have it to Good. leave a legacy. Mm-hmm. So. so, growing up, I mean, you grew up in this area, mm-hmm. right? You've been a lot of different places. You've probably fished all over the place well i've been with the united states fly fishing teams in world championships in finland italy ireland portugal wales i've done a lot of fishing so and the and the wonderful thing about that is when you're fishing in different countries and you're have so much competition like you have 125 other anglers, and it's very, very, very competitive. But you meet so many people, you gain. It's a wonderful experience, and you learn so much from other other men, how they fish, how they work a piece of water. Mm-hmm. And so 
it's been very beneficial to me over the years to to have that experience. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. My a dear friend of mine is a guy down in the Bahamas, mm-hmm. and uh, I was I was fortunate enough to really go there from since I was four, five, something like that. And uh, Percy was I invited him to be here for today, but I uh, just wanted sort of the south and the north they meet you know with with joe and percy and uh per- percy fishes a lot i think of bone you fish. caught a lot of bonefish down yes there, sir yes yeah. sir. and uh so um it just you know like all the avenues and the the places that he's been oh my goodness yeah and that's that's basically what i was going to get into uh, uh being part of a question you know we, have, we were talking before we come on about living in this area and being in Pennsylvania and how to you does the fishing in, in our area, how does it stack up compared to that of which throughout the, the rest of the United States? It is premier. We have some of the finest streams in the country and the most challenging. Mm-hmm. These trout have been fished over hardly and uh, they're, they're not easy. Yeah, right. And so it does present a challenge, you know, and, uh, and that leads on to the, when you're fishing, you have to be flexible. You have to be able to adapt. Adapt, yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, I, I've i looked into some of the things that you've done in the past as far as, like, night fishing, right? Yes. Is that something that you still do? Oh, or yes. <laughs> yes, I'm, I still do it. And uh, But here's, I have a couple of little tips. When you night fish... You never go under waters that you don't know mm. because you can lose your life. Yeah. You can step off a cliff. You don't know You don't know what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. So when I fish, I know exactly where I'm going. I know the depth of the water. I know where to, where to wade and where not to wade. I know the, the width of the stream. I know how much line I'm going to need. I look at the far banks and I see that the underhanging lives, limbs, and when I get to that area, I start to adjust my casting to shorten the, the to tighten up the loops to send my flies back under. So it's it's a study, but you better do it in the daytime. Mm-hmm. And so then I use big wet flies. I use the George Harvey. Uh, winged wets and then I have my own stonefly patterns that I go under with Mm -hmm. and then I use on the surface I go with a mouse so I work back and forth and I not only go with a mouse but a lemming another another fly of that of that mouse nature Mm -hmm. but so I go top and bottom and I get found that most of the time I guess my bigger fish like I have the state record still yet today, I think on a fly caught trout, mm-hmm. a 16 pound, 34 inch fish out of fishing creek. <laughs> so I understand the night game and I love it because when you feel a fish take, when you first hook the fish, you're not sure whether it was 15 inches or three feet long. Right. And so that's always that thrill of the take. Yeah. 
And right, so it's, right. it, it keeps you coming back. Yeah. And isn't it amazing, like, even at nighttime, yes. you know, the, especially with the brown trout, how they're, how they're feeding and how they can see yeah, the yeah. pattern that you have yeah. on a new. It's amazing, it, isn't it? it yeah. Is yeah. Uh-huh. Um, now, when you're, when you're out and you are fishing at night, do you run into fit catching more uh, a certain species than other, like a brown trout? Well, or? browns are really great night feeders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I catch more browns. Once in a while. I'll take rainbows, mm-hmm. and or uh, depends what what they stock, but once in a great while I'll take a brook trout. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was on Fishing Creek one night, and I was down in a chasm, and it was so dark, I I would even lose my balance because I I wasn't sure where I was, mm-hmm. and I finally I, I worked this patch of water, and I finally had a take, and I really hooked this fish, and I. 10-inch ten inch brook trout on a big fly yeah. flew out of the water. So, yeah, the brook trout will take it nice, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Now, are you more prone to wanting to fish a bigger water, or do you like fishing a smaller water? I and, I, I and, know myself, if if I find some mountain laurel and it's a creek that I can dang near jump over, I'm, I'm giddy to get in there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I've done that, and mm-hmm. I've done that in West Virginia, and, and uh, I've done it uh, in uh, – uh, in the Carolinas mm-hmm. with small streams, mm-hmm. but not here so much is because I don't want to hurt the fish. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just, I, I want to protect them. And I'll, you'll get some of your bigger brook trout doing that. And I, I don't want to do that. I, I don't, I don't want to hurt them. So I, I, I kind of back off of that, mm-hmm. but I love all kinds of water. Now I hired two guides to take me on the Madison at night. And I used the long line, which is a, a line that was invented for me by Cortland Line Company. Now it's the Europeans are using it, and they're calling it the European, the Euro system. Mm-hmm. And so I created that system, but I used that after night on the Madison, and the guides were going crazy <laughs> because I was taking so many fish that they never see in the daytime. <laughs> and so I have fished our streams here at night. I've fished all over the country at night. I fished California at night when you were not supposed to. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I've done it, yeah. Um, you know, y- you have fished with a lot of different people. And is there certain individuals, you know, we were talking about George earlier, so I'm sure he's one of them, but... Is there certain individuals that stick out to you yes. or, or any funny stories that you yeah. have with some influential yeah. people? Yeah. Ed Shank and I worked for 38 years together for the Allenberry Resort on uh, the Yellow Breaches. Mm-hmm. And, and then we've worked other clinics around different, different places together. And Ed was a, a, a real technician. He... Uh, Used the the short rod, and and I said to him one time, I said, "You're using a six and a half foot rod, or a six foot rod," and I said, "When I use a longer rod, I I have so mon- so many more advantages mm-hmm. because I can cover more water." I said, "I can lift my line over a lot of currents and get more time in productive areas and." I said, why do you use a short rod? He said, because I simply enjoy it. <laughs> he says, I have fun with it, and I love it. Mm-hmm. And so, yes. 
Well, anyhow, a little short story about Ed, and he takes his son to church. And so, on the way home, they stop on the Latorte, and he's going to have his son fish. And so, he says, he rings the rod up, and he takes the, his little boy to the stream, and he says, okay, now throw it in. And he took the rod and threw it in. <laughs> so Ed said he had to take all his Sunday, his Sunday school suit off down to his underwear and crawl into the yellow bridge or the yellow tort to get the rod out. Yeah, so uh, that's, that's, that's a funny story. That is yeah. a funny story. And here's another little story. Ed was at Penn State, and he had a class. And the professor kept going on and on. And it was time to go, and everybody was antsy. And finally, the professor held a leaf or something up, and he said, and what do you think we should call this? And Ed was in the back of the room, and he said, let's call it a day. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Ed, Ed had a great sense of humor. Yeah, he was a great guy. Yeah, that yeah. is funny. Uh, well, tell us a little about Mr. Daniels. Well, we're talking about people that have an impact impact on the fly fishing world today. George, we started to fish together. I think he was only maybe 16 years old. And he has come so far. And he's written a couple of books now. I think one on streamers, uh, uh, one on technique. But he has taken over the angling program at Penn State. Mm -hmm. And I am so proud and I am so pleased because he is doing such a wonderful job. And he, he has the, the technical flair that I had never had because it's a different age. And we, we, we didn't have the, the, the materials or the processes then that you do now. But right. George has been such a leader and, and such a, uh, an inspiration to so many people and to so many programs. Mm -hmm. So he's doing a great job, and and I have uh, yet to meet him. Yeah, so. you you're you're gonna meet a wonderful boy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I'm so proud of him. So yeah, that's neat. Yeah, yeah. This is this is this is great. You have all these stories, Joe. I I, I can't imagine even some of them that you can't think of at the moment. But oh, I have thousands. <laughs> <of them. Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> You know, um, we were talking about some of the places that you've you've been and you've seen, and wh what are some places that you have seen where, you know, like you said, you you always stop in that moment, but you just kind of just lost your breath. You know, you've seen something and you're just like, I wish that this person was here with me to see this, or something you just simply can't believe with your eyes. Yeah, well, an example like uh, the Kitka, the river in uh, Finland, and uh, I was in competition, and, and I was working a patch of water, and, and I was catching grayling. And I caught two or three nice big grayling that sent me up in the, with a rather high in the scorecards. Mm -hmm. you know. But just that, that river itself just captivated me. It was just, it was so sure. beautiful, mm -hmm. and, and the, the, the surroundings, and the, uh, wow. Yeah. You know, this is this is something, yeah. yeah. My father was, uh, well, latter part of his years, took me to Norway, and we were fishing for Atlantic salmon. We were on the Storen River, 
and that was just something that I don't know. I could. I just. It was neat mm -hmm. to be able to be there with my father, and then we uh, we stayed along a hotel right along the the stream. And uh, I looked at my dad one day, and I said, "You know, I'm going to climb that mountain." And the next day, I ended up going up and, and I the climbed the mountain. Mm -hmm. But uh, I told him I was going to go to this one peak, and I didn't make it to that peak. I went even further up and so i didn't know how to show where i was so i had a penn state shirt on and i took it off and i put it over a branch and i hung it up in the tree so you could see it from the hotel down there <laughs> and sure enough you could it was it was really that was a fun trip yeah. and uh we, the the river was just beautiful but uh, the scenery was even more spectacular. I'm going to tell you a story about your grandfather. Okay. Don Kepler had him up in the mountains on a mountain stream. And they were going around under the laurel, and a big water snake dropped down off of, <laughs> off the laurel across your grandfather's back. Oh. He threw his fly rod down. He threw everything down, and he ran out of there. And yet today, I might go back up that stream and try to find that fly rod. Oh, it's no still kidding. there. Oh my! Oh. <laughs> they never went back after it. Oh, yeah. be darn! Yeah. yeah, that we just were talking a, the other day with a friend of mine and I and uh, Chris Kepler, and uh, my dad just thought the world of that man. I mean, mm -hmm. he started the fireside uh, books, correct? Mm -hmm. Is that? I don't know. I just wanted to, but uh, Don Kepler was a yeah, a pretty guy, mm -hmm. pretty neat guy. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of history. Thank you for uh, yeah. mm -hmm. saying that about my grandfather because mm -hmm. I got some old pictures. But not only is that fly rod, I think three fourths of his equipment still there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just found his fly box the other day that, <laughs> All right. that I have. So, okay. but uh, anything else? Uh, yeah, Marcus? Joe. I, 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 I mean, I could pick your brain for hours. Oh. I could sit here all night because I'm just a BSer. And yeah. that's part of the reason why my wife said, you know, podcasting would be great for you because that's all you do is talk. And <laughs> when we go somewhere, yeah. you know, and it's time to leave, like I never, I never just disappear. You know, yeah. I don't pull Houdini. It's, yeah. She has to tell me an hour and a half before we leave because it's going to take me an hour and a half to say goodbye to everybody. Mm -hmm. And um, I would like to, to take you down and show you my stream, my camp. If you got a couple of minutes, we could just go down. And afterwards, yeah, we're yeah, down here. Yeah, yeah we can do I, that. Uh, uh -huh. So I just, uh, you know, it's it's neat to have you here. Well, you know, Marcus, let me just give you another 10-second sure. story. Yeah. <laughs> I love the stories, though. I do, too. A guy by the name of Paul Blankenhorn that was instrumental in helping me with the, uh, diverting the the – Big Spring back around the Duck Pond. And uh, that was a great, we really saved Spring Creek by doing it. But I was fishing with him and I was, we were on Penn's Creek and we were nymphing and I was told him about leader adjustment and what it meant to catching fish. And so we were fishing and I was catching fish and he was just learning, and he was kind of a neophyte, and it was, 
he was having some problems, but he was doing okay. And then, after a while, I sat down on the bank and I was watching him, and he was doing well. And then I started to, to fish with him again, and he started to catch fish, and I couldn't catch any fish. Mm -hmm. And I said to myself, what is happening? You're the expert. <laughs> this guy doesn't, he's, he's, he's a neophyte, he's learning, but he's, he can't outfish you, but he is. <laughs> he's catching two fish or three fish to every one you catch. And so, finally I said to, said to him, Paul, sit down with me a minute and tell me what you're doing. He said, I said, is it the fly? Did you change flies? He says, no, I have the same flies that we started with. And I said, why are you catching fish? And he looked at my leader and he said, well, you know what you told me. You have to adjust the tippet to this length to be able to get your flies down. And look at your tippet. You've changed flies so many times. Mm -hmm. You shorten the tippet, and your tippet's too short. If you lengthen your tippet, you might catch more fish. <laughs> and I did, and I started to catch more fish. So here is a neophyte, a guy that is just learning to teach the old man. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So You're never too young to we're learn. We're never too long, young to learn, that's for sure. Yep. I know. I learn stuff every day, every single day of my life, to be honest. Um, but, you know, I... Fly fishing is, it's, it's really a lifelong pursuit and, you know, there's endless opportunities for learning and growth as you just you touched bet. on, you know, what, what would you say are some key lessons, right? Something that really stands out or insights, um, that you've gained from everything in your journey and how have they translated not only into fly fishing, but into maybe other parts of your life? Well, you know, one of the things that people have to learn is basically line control. That is in casting and on the water, and that's what we learn in life. We learn through life, we make mistakes, just like line control, mm -hmm. and we learn to adjust, and that's life. I'm gonna use that. <laughs> I'm gonna use that line control in my everyday life. It's true. Yep. Very true. Line control. And, you know, you were touching on whenever we first started talking how fishing has enabled you to release or, you know, kind of flutter away and get anything that you have on your mind or off your chest yeah. and come back with a with a clear head. Yes. Right? So, yeah, it's, it's, it's the, not only the fish you pursue, it's the environment you're in. Mm -hmm. But being fishermen, and we're trying to catch the trout, and he is not always very willing to do it be God, mm -hmm. and so we have to adjust, and so we have to maybe work with different flies. We have to adjust our leader, and we might have to adjust our leader for the depth and speed of the water. We might have to add weight. We might have to adjust our weights different ways. We might have to place our flies on the leader at different places. We have, this is all problem solving. And so this is what we do. 
And this is why you no longer think about your problems. Right. You're thinking about right. solving your problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that something that would be really easy to do, I don't think would do what fishing, fly fishing in particular, does for the mind. Right, because whenever you do get involved and you do harder stuff, when you land that fish that you work for so hard, it's it's a lot more rewarding. It right? is, mm -hmm. no doubt about it. Or yes. even if you don't land a fish all day and you're just out in the water, right. it's still a yeah, really good day. Right. And well, George Harvey said, you know, when you're fishing all day and you don't catch a fish, and then you know, and and you say, well, as you did. It doesn't make any difference. George says, that's bull. He says, if you don't catch a fish all day, then you're nothing. And it means nothing. <laughs> uh, oh. Yeah, what do they say? Uh, and, one, and, and somebody asked him about, you know, strike indicators. And he says, if you're a bobber fisherman, he said, then you're a bobber fisherman. And they said... You haven't learned anything from childhood. If you fish a bobber, you're not a fisherman. You're just a kid fishing a bobber. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Yeah, he says, so yeah. he never used a strike indicator, nor right. do I ever. Right. I never have, yeah. And I think with, with that, um, I am not the most experienced fly fisherman. Um, I have really, the last two years, said, you know, this is all I'm going to do with it, and, and really self-taught and trying to learn stuff, but... I have went that route. I, I am very stubborn with it, but I'm just going to not use an indicator. Yes. You know? Mm -hmm. And I think that that will make if you, you If you follow your leader, you, you don't need an indicator. Well, Kevin's yeah. always saying to me, mend your line, you yeah. know. Yeah. Just, so yeah. it's, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. But, you know, fly fishing, it, it requires a lot of uh, patience and perseverance, yes. right? Yes. You know, you could be casting and that dang tree got you yeah. and then – you retie or you untie the knot that you just did and you go to cast again in the same damn tree got you again right, right? and and so you can you can really get and at 94 it happens to me more than i'd like yeah or i cast just a tad a little farther mm -hmm. and it's on a tree right and you adjust yeah but not until you break off the leader, have to retie the whole dang thing, <laughs> yeah. and 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 you've lost two or three flies, and now you have to before you can fish again, and and the the pattern you really would would like to fish with, you better go home and tie one because you've you, you, you you've, lost empty, you've emptied your box. Right, yeah. Right, uh, right. What um, what what are some of the most memorable moments that that are at the top of your head in in your fishing adventures like? Um, maybe not only just the size of a fish, but maybe you had a long day and towards the end of the day, you did that one more cast. You know, you, I always tell myself when I'm going fishing, I'll say, well, I'll work my way up here and then I'll one more cast. Well, that one more cast turns into yeah. 10 more yeah. casts. And then my yeah. phone's ringing and my wife says, Hey, uh, it's time to go. go, go home. Home. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, what are, you know, what are some of the, the most, I guess, memorable moments that, that come to your mind when you are, when you were, are, or have been out fishing? Okay. I'm a little boy. I think I'm pretty good with wet flies. I'm 15 years old. And there might have been a better fisherman in this world, but I doubted it because I thought I was pretty good. So I was fishing wet flies, and 
the dam was in at Rock. Rock is a big outcropping in Spring Creek. And back in then, a dam was made for a mill back in the 1700s, and it backed the water up. And there's a fisherman fishing, and I had fished by him, and I sat down and was watching him catch fish. And I didn't catch any fish, but this guy was catching fish. And I was so frustrated. And finally, I went to the man, and I said, what are you fishing? And he said, I'm fishing wet flies. I said, you couldn't be fishing wet flies and catching fish because I'm fishing wet flies and I'm not catching any fish. And he said to me, he says, yes, son. He says, you fished by me and I watched you fish and you were using down fish techniques and you were moving your flies and down them across the stream. But he says, these fish don't want the flies moving down across. He says, these fish want them coming, drifting naturally over them. So you throw straight upstream and watch your leader and they'll come up and on a natural drift and it has to be a natural drift and they're sucking the fly in. That's why I'm catching fish then you aren't because they want the fly coming to them naturally. So here I am as a child. Here is a guy that took the time to tell me what he was doing and how to do it. And it was a great big wonderful happening in my life because I learned now there was another way to, to fish wet fly. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. yeah that's, that's cool. So these are these are experiences I've had with other people that have shared with me mm -hmm. that right. and so many times. Right. Yeah. And the and the wonderful part of all that is when when we pass down the knowledge that we have then it it should get passed down again right yes and that's why i hope that i mean everybody says you know it starts with the kids and you need to teach the youth and that is true but also at the same time i feel like adults kind of get a I don't, they have a, a pride within them where they don't want to ask for help or they're afraid to do something which fly fishing can be really intimidating to a lot of people because they see all these knots that we're tying or they see us trying to you know match a hatch or something and well, you're yes. lifting them rocks what are you looking for right? yeah or mm -hmm. doing doing whatever we can to try to find what what the yeah. fish will will hit on and i think that the more that that we put out there and the more that like you know something like this show or some other things that you're involved with by taking veterans and such that gets the word out that you know we're all normal human beings and we're not yeah. doing anything that that's, that's that crazy, but you just got to yeah. get out there and try, you know? Well, one of the things now, we have so many avenues to share with, to share our techniques and to enhance fly fishermen today. But in my day, your best fishermen were very secretive. They didn't want to tell you anything. I've got it. I've learned it. And I don't want any competition. Right. And so in my, see how it has changed over my lifetime where people didn't want to help. Now, there's so many avenues of good help mm -hmm. with, with videos, with 
right? DVDs with, and what you're doing now. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Marcus, yeah. and what you're doing now. Right. With the podcast, yes. Yeah. And what's, you know, what's great about all the stuff that we can do for people is, nowadays with this stuff is, this stuff is a digital footprint that's here long after we're gone. Yes. You know? Yes. But it's still hard to beat the hands-on lessons or a sit-down like this and, and to be there and, and be part of be part of everything. But The thing that, that one of the things that I, I think that I'm being uh, an old man and I see so many people casting and they use the tended to and and attended to is what everybody's is learning from and by. But my my casting in and what I believe catches far more fish is the very short stroke. Right. Elbow in and it's wrist and wrist. So I stop the rod straight up and down and then it's wrist. And this wrist gives me the slack leader cast for dry flies. It gives me the tuck cast for nymphing. It gives me the downer and upper for nymphing. It gives me all kinds of techniques that, and it gives me distance and I can go under brush with this stroke. Mm -hmm. And this is why I became a, a, a top gun in the, in the brush. I think at uh, one time, I don't think anybody could have ever 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 beat me in the brush so yeah right. <laughs> here's a funny and there's another funny story and this is a george harvey and we we were doing a we were doing a clinic in uh south williamsport and guys joe i'm sorry for interrupting and this you. guy was trying to impress george harvey with how adept he was in the mountain streams. So he said to George, he said, every year on the mountain streams, he says, I wear a pair of knees out on my hip boots because I get down to, so I can fish. And George Harvey says, that's because you don't know how to cast. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. So how many years did you fish with George then? Oh, for years. Yeah. Yes. Was that was that your your main fishing buddy for the longest time? Oh, he was he was a good fishing buddy. Yeah. Did you yeah. guys do a lot of traveling? Was it were you on the team together? No. no? George, George never went into competition. He didn't believe in competition. Right. He no. was, he wanted to fish. That was He just wanted to fish. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And I can understand but that. But George through his classings, classes, just think. He started angling classes at Penn State in 1932. There was just some students, but mostly profs, mm -hmm. that wanted to learn. And then he taught them fly tying and techniques. But then in 1947, it became an accredited course. And then it got a lot of national provenance, like uh, through Life magazine, uh, right. Collier's, Saturday Evening Post, all those magazines are gone. Mm -hmm. But yeah, and uh, but it got a it exploded nationally. Yeah, yeah. When when do you think you know in in your views like 
When you were young, fly fishing probably wasn't the most popular thing. Ah, but it was. Mm. One thing that you don't think about, Fisherman's Paradise was here. It was the first all-fly fishing program in the United States. Mm -hmm. And it started in 1942 and ended in 1956 with the pollution. But all of those years, we had, for instance, on May the 15th, on the opening day of fly fishing, at, and, and, and it ended July 31st, May the 15th of July 31st. It started at 9 in the morning and ended at 9 at night. And a siren blew. It was one mile of stream. You could hear the siren, <laughs> okay? And on May the 15th, and I don't remember what year, but I bicycled from State College, and I finally got down to Fisherman's Paradise, and the line was so long that I couldn't finally, I finally got registered, and then I couldn't find a place to fish, and it was shoulder to shoulder. There were 3,000 fishermen in that one mile of stream, and so I saw an old man standing on a rock that was slanted, so I went behind him and sat down, waited. I said, he's going to give out. And he did. And when he jumped off the rock, I jumped on. <laughs> That's how crowded it was. And so that was Fisherman's Paradise. Yeah. But everybody was fishing streamers. And it was stocked maybe twice a week. And there were thousands of people fishing. But they used streamers and big flies and mm -hmm. to get the big fish. But I had all those years found that freshwater shrimp and crest bugs was what they what they liked. Mm -hmm. And so I tied a fox fur nymph and on an 18 hook and I pulled the guard hairs down and trimmed them and it just looked like a little shrimp and I sight fished and I caught fish after fish and it got so that people were watching you watching me and what happened they tried to catch my line with theirs. They did everything to see what I was fishing with. And when I would catch a fish, I would take the fly out of its mouth, hold it in my hand, and run. <laughs> and I had people behind me, like the Pied Piper, with people running up the bank trying to find out what I was doing. And I was only 17, 16, 17 years old. And I had the key in right there in my hand. And... I was doing a clinic on the Rose River with the veterans. Mm -hmm. And a man came to me and he said, do you did something for me that I never forgot? He said, my father was at Fisherman's Paradise and he couldn't catch any fish. And he was so frustrated. And you came to him and helped him catch fish mm -hmm. with that nymph, yep. with the and he said, my grand, he said, my father was so appreciative. And he said, I, he said, neither of us ever forgot you. Mm -hmm. And so after all those years, that came back to me. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you never know. Yeah. Yes. Hey, that's, that's just that. Yeah, it's the pay it forward thing. Yeah. You know, and, yes. and I believe, you know, people talk about karma. I, I believe in that. I really think it's, it's, it's a real thing. And I think that if you're a good person, good things come to you. Good things come, you yeah. know. But, uh, you know, the Fisherman's Paradise, yeah, that, you know, that was there 
what are some other, you know, changes that you've seen in the fly fishing culture, whether they be good or bad throughout the years? Well, we've we've had so many. We've learned from the Europeans, but we've had so many techniques of our own. Uh, using the long leader now with uh, two weighted flies. Uh, they call it the Euro system. Mm -hmm. uh, there are streamer techniques now that where you're mending the line, uh, holding your streamers on the far side of the stream. Uh, just, just, there's so much to it that we're, we're learning and we're adjusting. But I believe that if we look back into time, we can learn more from the old timers than we can today. Mm -hmm. Remember, the old timers shot that, that line with their bait straight upstream, had line control, tipped down to the water, fished it down through, let it swing, and followed the swing. And once it swung down below, they lifted and dropped it and lifted and dropped it, and then finally lifted it slowly. These were techniques that now we're thinking about, we're reinventing mm -hmm. stuff that was done years ago. Yeah. They had the line control. They had bottom control. They had weight control and techniques of Lifting and dropping, yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, it really hasn't changed that much, though. We're still all trying to catch trout, right? And <laughs> so, Ed Shank and I were one day on the yellow breeches, and a little girl was only fourteen years old, and she was out fishing us. She was out fishing everybody, and we. We didn't know. And so I finally said to the little girl, and Ed was right with me, what fly are you using? And she showed us the fly. It was anon. It, did, it wasn't anything special. Mm -hmm. And so I said, you're catching all of these fish. And she said, yes. When I fish a pocket, I let the fly lay. Then I lift it up. And that's when I hit it. And then I drop it. If they don't hit it, then I drop it. And then I lift it slowly again. And he says, it's on the lift they take. So here we are, the old timers. They let the fly, their bait, sink. And then they slowly lifted it. And that's when they got hit. Or they dropped it again. It comes back. And here this little girl came back with the same technique that our grandfathers were using and out fishing us. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Isn't that neat? You know, I, I I honestly do appreciate it. Like when I am out on the stream or if I'm even on a lake fishing with my dad or something and I see a young kid that's just killing it. Like it's it, it, it yeah. is, it's really fun. You just want to set your rod down and just uh, yeah, well, watch. watch. Yeah. And, and you know, ask him, where did you learn that? Where did you, you know, and it's usually either, hey, I, I've been coming here every day. I ride my bike from school or whatever and I, I fish till dark or whatever. Or it's, you know my pap or my dad or, or something, you know, somebody like we were talking about before, somebody yeah. mentored them and, and passed down something that's really 
That's what I loved about Whitener on the fly. I mean, I get to watch all these people. Yeah, sure you and do. And you see so much experience. Yeah. I mean, it just was mesmerizing. I have another story. And here we are at the Yellow Breaches again, and we have a class. And this little girl, she had wild hair. It stuck straight up in the air, and it was all over his head. And she had these these neophyte waiters on, and, and they were, I forget. But she was just a, a small girl. And she was catching fish after fish. And what she was doing, she would just let her fly hang straight downstream and just move the rod over to the right, and then over to the left, and she was just fishing behind this boulder, and these fish were down, laying in behind that that uh, velocity change, and she was catching fish after fish. And finally she said, oh, I'm sick of this. And she says, I'm going to go watch television. And we were all so happy to see her go <laughs> because she was feeding the hell out of us. Oh, Lord. Yeah, it's... It's a wonderful, wonderful sport, and I really hope that more people can get involved in it. And um, you know, I want to go back just to what we were talking about, as far as some some things that you've seen change, and in the fly fishing, you know, in our state of Pennsylvania, and maybe even in this area. You know, what what do you believe are some things that we are doing very well? Um, and then also on the contrary. Well, yeah, we're we're probably nymph- nymphing better than we ever have. And I have always, with nymphing, worked with what was happening down below and what was under the rocks or what, what was the natural food chain. But now they're coming up with very small hooks with a bead head with nothing but tinsel on them mm-hmm. and out fishing everybody. Right. What is it about that damn thing, that that little bead on that little hook with a little bit of tinsel mm-hmm. wrapped around it? Why is it out fishing everybody? Right. <laughs> And so I was down at Fisherman's Paradise, and this guy said, no, no wonder, you know, I'm fishing a crest bug, which is down there, but they didn't want it. And I couldn't understand why they didn't want it. So he said, try this. And he gave me one of these little stupid things. Mm -hmm. Tungsten. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And... I fish it, but it didn't do any good. And then I was down here not that all that long ago, and uh, the uh, boy from Pittsburgh, the uh, uh, the name, uh, he's an outstanding fisherman, and he said to me, he said, well, he said, We'll, we'll use a dropper, you know, the hopper dropper type mm-hmm. of thing. And he said, and then he put one of those damn little things on, and I caught two trout. Mm-hmm. So on the same on the same cast. Yeah. Okay. Not on the same cast, but on two different casts. Yeah. Okay. Is that Josh? Josh Miller. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I yeah. I know who that is. Mm-hmm. He's a fine fine young fisherman. Mm-hmm. 
Now, you know, we were talking about some of the things that, that we do well, and, and, we, and you're talking about technique, but what are some things that you think are a problem in our area, whether that be littering or uh, any types of pollution? Well, you know, what was so sad is uh, our university polluted the stream in 1956 with sodium cyanide, and it wiped the whole stream down to, out to Belfont. And it's taken years for it to come back. Mm -hmm. And when I was a boy, we had a great green gray catch. Mm -hmm. It'll never be there again because even they're trying to recreate it, we don't have the water quality. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So these are some of the things, and it's, it's been so sad. That was carelessness, and that was stupidity, and so... It changed, changed Spring Creek forever. Forever, right? Yeah, yeah. It's definitely something that you know should be watched and looked upon. As far as even, you know, we're going to put a parking lot here, or we're going to put something here, and the way that we change the the wastewater, yes, you know, yes, is yes. something that has to be looked at. Especially, you know, I I want to catch brook trout for the most part. I appreciate brown trout, and you know, and I like catching rainbows, but when I catch a brook trout, I'm, I'm more connected to it. I'm, I'm more excited about it. And those fish are probably about the most tainty and finicky fish around. Yeah. So you, as soon as you... Well, for instance, what, what we can do here at State College, we did divert Thompson Spring around the duck pond. Mm -hmm. And it changed Spring Creek forever for the betterment. But... We have all of the storm sewer runoff coming directly into the duck pond, which goes right into Spring Creek. So we have to treat the storm sewer right. runoff coming in here. Mm -hmm. But we can't convince anybody yet. Right. That's the university, and that's State College Borough, mm -hmm. and they have to cooperate, and they have to understand, but they don't. It's it's not their problem. Right. They don't think about what it could do for Spring Creek. So the, these are the things. You know, when I saw when when the highway pushed Thompson Spring into the duck pond, it not only warmed it up, but there was nothing but pollution. Right. And Spring Creek, for miles, went straight downhill. Water temperatures would go up to 80s. Never in Spring Creek's history did it ever do that. Right. And so I said, this was such a wonderful experience in my life. This gave me my life. And I'm not going to see it go downhill. Mm -hmm. And so I sat down with five other guys, and we formed Trout Unlimited, and we reconverted that damn spring around to that pond. Yeah. Yeah. Now what what is like the normal average water temperature now that you've now that, that we were able to Spring do Creek that? was probably in uh, the sixties. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. It probably one might might be in the high sixties at its yeah. warmest. Right. Yeah. Mm hmm Because we still have springs feeding it. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Some underground some Yeah, we have a lot of springs, yeah. Even the big spring at rock that is now feeding Benner Springs Hatchery. Mm -hmm. That still is coming out of the hatchery, but it's still cold water. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like you said, you know, that's what makes this area so 
good. Now, when I was a kid, that big spring went straight into Spring Creek. And when I would fish it with wet flies early in the morning as a kid, I could take brook trout where the big spring dropped into Spring Creek. Mm -hmm. And so I could always, and I would always make a point to fish there because then I could get two or three nice big brook trout mm -hmm. to take home, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Got to have that sandwich. Yep, and not <laughs> only then, but, you know, after, in 1929, my dad had a job in the bank, and the bank, everything folded, and we went into the Depression, mm -hmm. and what you caught and what you shot is what you ate. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yep. That was different in those days. Mm -hmm. We were... We were fighting for survival. Yeah. Right. yeah. Well, hopefully we never have to go back to those let's, days. Let's hope. Thank yeah. God. You yes, know. please. Huh. Yeah. But yeah. you also can't put a price on being able to know this and, and yes. have this knowledge yes. of being able to catch wild trout. And, yes. I mean, even stock trout, but, but being able to catch trout and understanding the way that fish move about the streams. Yeah. And, and you know what? I, I think there's a wonderful program now. We have trout in the classroom. Mm. And they're teaching these children from, from an egg to a viable trout. And then they put them in the stream and they follow their progress mm -hmm. and they learn conservation That's and they learn how to keep our streams clean. And, you know, they, they learn so much. So that's a... That's, that's why we gotta keep that's the a, education coming. Yeah, that's why we do. Yeah, yep. and that's that's the goal, mm -hmm. the ultimate goal. Well, Marcus, we did it. Yeah, yes, we did. Thank you, Joe. Is there anything else that you need? I, Joe, like I told you, I I, I could talk to you for hours. Um, I just want to look through here. I I wrote a couple notes down as we were talking, um, but you know, you you've left a great legacy. Uh, upon those that have choose to fish this area really um and you know what are some things that you think um that we could also help with that you've started moving forward um you know we, we were talking about the cleanup of spring creek yes you know is there any other things that you'd like to touch on as far as maybe local programs or anything that people could look into to spend some spare time with or help out with well you know Try to limit it as, as working uh, to enhance our streams and uh, with planting trees, with picking up trash, uh, different things. But they're very concerned with water quality also mm -hmm. and the Clear Water Conservancy. And uh, we have programs now that uh, are really concerned about our environment. Right. They're really, really helping us. So in my day, there wasn't any need for what? Protection. for Protection, the yeah, right. because no. nothing was bothering it, yeah. Mm -hmm. We weren't putting a gas station in a That's parking right. lot in a mall. In right, exactly, yeah. We're having uh, yeah, you know, trains fact, derail or yeah, right. anything like that. And when, uh, you know, when I was a child, and before the, oh, before World War II, and then, and then after 1941, gas was rationed, mm -hmm. and uh, we didn't have that many people on the road or, or on the stream. Right. Yeah. So, I, I had these streams to myself basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now here's a, uh, I'm going to give you two funny stories, and I sh I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do this. Okay. 
and Fisherman's Paradise, you couldn't fish on Sundays. And so the tourists came Sundays to see all the fish. Mm -hmm. And they would stand on the, on the bridges and feed the big trout bread. But then Monday morning when the, when the Claxton blew, these guys tied white deer hair flies. <laughs> they packed white deer flies so there was your bread clump. And so when the siren blew at 9 o'clock, guys on both sides of the stream were firing their <laughs> bread crumb flies and all those big fish were going for them. And there was one hell of a tangle, and everybody was cussing everybody else out. And they say, "You son of a bitch, you threw over me!" You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it was that. It was it was chaotic, but yeah. it was the funniest thing in the world. Yeah. And then, the Green Drake Hatch was on. Okay. Now the Claxton blew at nine, at in the evening, and when it blew, it's done. Mm -hmm. You 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 had yeah. to go off the stream, go register sign out and go so the green drake hatches on and these big fish are sucking them in at right at the edge of darkness at nine o'clock and these guys would hook these big fish the fish of a lifetime i've never had a fish like this in my life i've got a hat i've got to land it mm -hmm. the siren blows they broke they had to break them off and go sign out wow. <laughs> and and there were so many. I think there were tears. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. grown men yeah. crying. Yeah. yeah, grown men crying. Yeah, <laughs> I have uh, so, I have lost some very large fish in my life, and I will say that they stick with you. <laughs> well, I've lost two that I think would have been world record wow. type on a fly. So I'm going back the third time. Yeah, one more time. Where are you heading to? Oh, uh, uh, it'll be Arkansas on the Little Red. Little Red River. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's yeah, exciting. Yeah. I was filming with, uh, with, uh, oh, the American Sportsman. What? John Wilson? No. Well, John Wilson was there, but I was fishing with uh, a national program. And, uh, and I hooked a fish that was absolutely huge. He would have gone maybe 38 pounds. Absolutely, he was that big and that long. That's filmed. Huge, right? huge, and and uh, don't they have? A I had film of I, that? I I had him right in front of me, and then the, the hook pulled out. So it was just it was just heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. So and the, and when we were filming the the story on the live the stream, mm -hmm. and again on a on a. Uh, sculpting pattern and I was working it on the bottom and this big fish grabbed it I never saw the fish I never got him off the bottom I never even got his head up he went for a brush pile and broke me off yeah it, so those are two big fish yeah it's funny though too you know I, I know the feeling of getting those big brown trout on and I, I you know what I what I've the feeling that I've had from them is it's like as soon as they grab it you know, it's not they don't they, they don't want to roll. They don't want to come to the top, but they take it straight down to the bottom, and it's like they want to stick to the bottom. And sometimes they do, and sometimes it goes boom. Yeah, they they take off. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. But you know, Joe, I, I want to thank you so much. This this is really awesome. I really appreciate all the stories and all the knowledge that you have. And um, you know, Randy, I can't I can't thank you. I enough. can't thank you thank enough, you, Randy. Randy. 
and uh, yeah, this was great. I really enjoyed this. I, I hope to keep in touch with you and, and, uh, yes. you know, have a phone call with you every once yes. in a while and, and, th and just check in. So we'll, we'll do it again. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Marcus.